Now to a baffling disappearance that's become one of our nation's most enduring mysteries. Tomorrow marks 50 years since the three Beaumont children went missing. It's Australia Day, 1966, and the Beaumont children, nine-year-old Jane, seven-year-old Anna, and four-year-old Grant, head off alone to Adelaide's popular Glenelg Beach. They were last seen on the beach with a tall man, and that's the best description police have ever had of him. Their local postman later reported seeing the children heading for home, but they never arrived. Welcome back to Conspiracy Club. I'm Tom. And I'm Amir. This week, we're done with the Jonestown uh, deep dive. I said, I said, well done. <laughs> and we're tossing it back to Amir. He's uh, he's going to lead this one. We're really excited about it. Yes. Should we, should we ask some things of, of the audience before we get started, like rate and review this on iTunes? I said, I said rate and review and leave or a wherever. comment or whatever you do on the free time. Well, I said, I said, Jim Jones going to come back. I said, I said, me and my crew of people go murder you. I said, I said, boy. <laughs> I said, I said, <laughs> scene, scene set. It's uh, 2018. <laughs> Come on in here, Tom. Let me talk to you. And, uh, the black one's not here, but I said, I said, I'll uh, sit on down. So I know I said, I said, you guys did a whole episode about me last week or the last month. Oh, Jim, are you here? Yeah, I was listening. You know, I was reborn. I said, I said, and, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't like what you had to say about me. I don't like how you exposed me for being Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> <laughs> He's actually the inspiration for Foghorn Leghorn. Did you know that? I said, I said, I did know that. And I said, I said, I need you to tell me that, you son of a bitch. <laughs> but, okay. You can do the whole episode in Foghorn Leghorn voice. <laughs> in Jim Jones' voice, you mean? Yeah. No, all right. So. What's the topic for this week? Last time we... <laughs> no, last time we did this, or no, last time I was supposed to lead an episode, I said, I'm going to do the Beaumont children. And then I lied. As you and do. I did <laughs> you, get, you got that out? <laughs> I'm sorry. You like that? I didn't like that. But uh, so I said I was going to do the Beaumont children. I didn't because I lied about it. And I end up doing, what was it that I did for like five minutes? You did the liquid oh, yeah, Matthew yeah, 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 Minnesota yeah, yeah. Minnesota right there. Many, many, many so. <laughs> yeah. And so speed, you speed ran it. Yeah, I speed ran it. But uh so this time we're finally gonna do the Beaumont children disappearance. Where'd they go? Where are they at? Did they get found? How do they put their shoes on? How do they how do they like what's up with rainbows? How do they make them? <laughs> do they have those in Australia? We don't know. Is that what they're from Australia? We're gonna find out. Oh. All right. So we're gonna talk about the three kids, they're usually just called the Beaumont children, but here's their names. Jane, Natare. What was that? Jane. <laughs> I got the first one. Natare. <laughs> I'm going to just call her Jane Natari. Wait, that's her Beaumont. full name? Yes, Jane Natari Beaumont. Yeah, just call her Jane. Yeah, okay. Ar Arna, Kathleen Beaumont, and Grant Ellis Beaumont. Wait, there's four of them? There's three. Wait, nice. They all have three. They all have the one middle name. Just give me their first name. All right, Jane, Arna, and Grant Beaumont. Uh oh. oh I think I know. We know where the Grant shit. Beaumont is. So Jane was born in 1956. Arna was born in 1958, and Grant was born in 1961. 
They were collectively known as the Bonad children. The what? The Bonad children. <laughs> they were three siblings who disappeared in near Adelaide, South Australia. Again, see, Australian people have so many weird names for like shit. Like just this Glenegg Beach in, <laughs> in January 1966, which was Australia Day. They were nine, seven, and four. Oh, really? When I didn't realize they were that young. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna get into, you know. So they were on the beach and they just vanish. Yeah, we're gonna talk about some of the, you know, the time then, some of the possible suspects, some hoax shit. Okay. And then a little bit of some 2018 stuff. All right, take me know? through. So let's get into the background. <laughs> so the beachside suburb of Glenelg. I'm just gonna call it Glentown. Is that okay. fine with you? The beachside suburb of Glentown, where the Beaumont children were last seen, Jane. Three of them, because mm-hmm. that one Arna has a rough name. <laughs> Jane, Arna, and Grant live with their parents, Jim, who was an ex-serviceman, and Nancy Beaumont, who had married in 1955. Their house was in Harding Street, Summerton Park. A sub- Summerton, Summerton man. Yeah. Oh, you cheap <laughs> bastard! I didn't know that. Man, what if he took him? <laughs> and died on the beach uh, A suburb of Adelaide Not far from Glentown Beach A popular spot that the children And many others at the height of the surf music era woo, Often visited <laughs> On the morning of January 26, 1966 Once again Australia Day The children took a 5 minute 3 kilometer because it's over there uh, Bus journey from their home To the beach A trip they've done all the time Like They used to always take that Jane, who was the eldest child, who was considered responsible enough to take care of all three, all three of them. And she's nine? All two of them. Uh, let me check one more time. Yes. So a nine-year-old <laughs> can take over a four-year-old. Which one's the youngest one? Uh, seven and four. Grant is the youngest. So one. she can take over a four-year-old brother. Mm-hmm. Mm, yikes. Mm-hmm. Hey, she did this all the time. It was a different age. Mm-hmm. It was the 50s. Uh, so she was considered responsible enough to take care of the other, the younger two ones, and given the social conditions of the time, their parents were not concerned about the trip. They caught the bus at eight forty-five a.m. Wait, they're going on their own? Yes. Oh my god. Yes. So they caught the bus at eight forty-five a.m. The three of them. Here's what's crazy to me already. <laughs> I guess the fifties, but you're just like, yeah, my nine-year-old, seven-year-old, four-year-old can ride the bus on their own. They'll mm-hmm. take care of themselves, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like that seems. Dumb, even for the 50s. Hey, man. It like, was... when you were like, they were on their own. I thought you meant like the parents were like at a restaurant. No. And they're like, we want to go walk the beach. And she's like, all right, go with no, your sister. they jumped on the bus. That's nuts. Yeah, okay. They, it was the frisky, I think the parents were trying the, to lose them. The frisky. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's the frisky 50s, dude. Relax, <laughs> relax. So they were they get on the bus at 845 and were expected to turn home at 12 p.m. Uh, or... Two. One of those two. Uh, So (laughs) I'm just saying. Three hours or five. At some point, they were going to show back up. I'm just saying. This is what Nancy says. So Nancy became worried, their mother, when the children did not return when expected. And when Jim Beaumont returned home at 3 p.m., he immediately drove to the beach, unable to locate them. Someone's pissed off in here. Unable to locate them. He returned and together... 
They searched the streets and friends' houses. They searched the streets and friends' houses. I don't know if they just thought the kids were at the friends' house chilling. Did they go to the beach first, though? Yeah. Okay. Uh, around 5 p.m., they went to the Glentown Police Station to notify them of the disappearance. So the police... <laughs> the police quit. are like, so when when did you last see them? They're like, oh, when we let them ride the bus by themselves. And the, and the police was like, all right, mate. You're dumb. Hey, good day. We would have called CPS. Hey, let's go, let's go see what's up with the kangaroos and let's go, let's go oh search for them. Because they're like fosters. Yeah, hey, hey, hey. Put well, another shrimp on the bob, eh? Yeah, you know, <laughs> go hit the outback or whatever. But I hope no Australian people are listening to this. They're going to be offended. Then I'll do a New York police officer voice in to make them feel like, hey, <laughs> hey, you got your kids walking around at 8.45 a.m. in the Bronx. What's wrong with you? Hey, what are you, black? I'm walking here. <laughs> Oh my god. Oh shit. Were they? <laughs> no, they weren't. Oh no, you would understand why they wouldn't be because it's his fifties and the things that they end up going to do for these kids, they would never do for black children. They're just like they're gone. Yeah. Oh, but good. black because they'd be like, well shit, it is what it is. <laughs> One, three less of them. <laughs> oh, hey, it's the fifties. Hey, segregation. We're doing it big out here. But uh so the police quickly organized a search of the beach in the adjacent areas. Based on the assumption, they were nearby and had simply lost track of time. The search then expanded to the sand hills, ocean, and nearby buildings, with the airport, rail lines, and interstate roads being monitored, too. I don't know why they thought that they would get to an airport. They're like, oh, we're going to the beach uh, in America. We're, get, we're catching the plane. <laughs> We're out of here. We're out of here. I'm sick of your bullshit, Nancy. <laughs> Knock it off. Fuck you, Jim. God. You're not a real dad. Yeah, well, I mean, you are, but... <laughs> well, I don't know about Grant. The other two, yeah. But he doesn't look like us. <laughs> he's, he's a boy. But, and they're nine, so this is this, they might have said that. So, uh, based on the fear of accident or kidnapping, within 24 hours, the entire nation was aware of the case. The this, entire nation of yes, Australia. This is why I said if it was black kids, this would never happen. Because they would never put this in the newspaper. They'd be like, well, shit, it is what it is. Wow. <laughs> I mean, how, how many people live in Australia, though? 12? Oh, well, <laughs> most of them are kangaroos. So if you do outside the kangaroos, you know, around 100? Maybe? <laughs> Isn't there like three cities in Australia? Yeah, and that's the ones who don't wear shoes. <laughs> so, uh, within three days, on January 29th, the Sunday Mail led with the head. <laughs> they led with the headline of "Sex Crime Now Feared." Oh, yeah. That's so they that's, jumped. They're right out there. Yeah, they jumped. Highlighting the rapidly evolving what, fear. What is their reasoning for putting that? I'm going to get there. Okay. Highlighting the rapidly evolving fear that they had been abducted and murdered by a sex offender. But and why despite that? Despite this, I don't honestly. Just because they're children? I'm going to get into it later, but there were some other things that were happening at the same time, which maybe they would have been like. Okay. But so the initial award was only 250 pounds. Which I feel like that's not enough. I didn't calculate what that would be. Because for it to be a national story, I feel like it would have been more than 250 pounds. What year was this? This was 1950. No, this was might have been 66. I thought you said it was the 50s. Well, the kids were born in the 50s. Oh, yeah, okay. so they got they disappeared on, in 66. I'm going to Google you. Keep going. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So the police quickly established that between them, they were carrying 17 individual items, including clothing, towels, and the bags. Kids? Yes. Okay. 
but none of these items were ever found. <sighs> this is why this is when I this is what I mean by these children are white and this would never happen if this was black kids. The Patatawalonga boat haven was drained. They drained a whole boat haven for these kids. On on the 29th of January after a woman told the police that she struck that she spoke with Three children who were similar in description to the Beaumont children near the Haven at 7 p.m. on January 26th. 7 p.m.? Mm-hmm. Police cadets and members of the emergency operations group searched the area. Yeah, that's only 6,000 bucks, which I guess is 6,000 pounds yeah, in 2019. Yeah, you said 1956 or 66? 66. Whoops. Give me two seconds. I'll do it God. again. It's probably less. Four thousand. So it's even less. Yeah, so forty about forty six hundred bucks. For national news, I feel like that it would have been up. But so anyway, so they drain out this whole boat haven to search for these kids because maybe they got thrown in there or something. But nothing was found. Which what do they would have found? Wait, how did they know the items they had with them? Just stuff that they was missing. They just from the guessed. House? Yeah. Okay. So here are the prime suspects that they have. So the police investigated the case, found several witnesses who had been, who had seen the children in Kali Reserve near the beach in the company of a tall, blonde, and thin-faced man with a suntan complexion, a thin to athletic build in his mid-thirties, and wearing swimming trunks. The children were playing with him and appeared relaxed and to be enjoying themselves. The man went off to change while the children raided for him, and he and the children were seen walking together as a group away from the beach sometime later, which the police estimate to be around 12, 15 p.m. Oh, so this is right after they were supposed to be home mm-hmm. or around then. Yep. So Jim and Nancy Beaumont described their children, particularly Jane, as shy. For them to be playing so confidently with a stranger seemed out of character. Investigators theorized that the children had perhaps met the man during a previous visit or visits and had grown to trust him. A chance remark at home, which seemed insignificant at the time, supports this theory. Arna had told her mother that Jane had got a boyfriend down the beach. Oh, no. Wait, so they were seen at 7 p.m., though. Later on. Where at? Uh, That boat haven? Yes. They were seen near... Bowhaven. Okay. Yeah. We'll see. There was. It's not called Bowhaven. It's a boat haven. It's called Patalo, Patawalanga. Okay. And they was them. Did they say if the man was with them at that point? No. Okay. So, uh, a boyfriend. That's yeah. Oh, yikes. Yeah. She got a, a old man. And they're kids. I mean, the she's thirties. Seven and four and nine. Well, Arna is four. No, Arna's seven. Grant. Oh, excuse four. me. Yeah. Sorry, man. Jane's uh, nine. Yeah. So how would they? They don't know what's wrong. Hey, but that dude did. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, she's back to that. So where am I? At? Yeah. So she said that Jane got a boyfriend down the beach. Nancy Beaumont thought she met a playmate and took no further notice until after the disappearance. A shopkeeper at nearby Wenzel's Bakery also reported that Jane Beaumont had bought pastries and a meat pie with a dollar note. I assume that. Uh, she had no dollar note that it was given to her by... Please view this as further evidence that they had spoke with another person for two reasons. The shopkeeper knew the children well from previous visits and reported that they had never purchased a meat pie before. Ugh. And the mother had given them only f- six shillings. I don't enough know how much a the- shilling is. It's enough for their bus fare and food and not one pound. Police believed it had been given to them by someone else. Ugh. 
So at about 3 p.m., the children were seen walking alone away from the beach along Jetty Road in the general direction of their home. The witness, at what time? At three. Okay. The witness, a postman, knew the children well, and his statement was regarded as reliable. He said the children were holding hands and laughing in the main street. Police could not determine why the main uh, police could not determine why the reliable. I mean, yeah, reliable children already one hour late were strolling alone and seemingly unconcerned. And why the, hadn't they taken the bus? I don't know. Maybe they didn't have any cash after that. They spent it on a meat pie. <laughs> uh, this was the last confirmed sighting of the children. Wait, so the 7 p.m. one isn't confirmed? It's not confirmed. Okay. They were like, man, it's, you know. Might have been. Yeah, okay, it's a woman, it. though. It's the, it's the 60. Hey, hold on. Oh. So mm. wait, the, the man isn't with them at this point? No. Okay. It's just them. Uh, so the postman contact, contacted the police two days after his initial statement and said that he thought he saw them in the morning and not the afternoon, as he had previously said. Several months later, a woman reported that on the night of the disappearance, a, a man accompanied by two girls and a boy entered a neighboring house that she had believed empty. Lady, she, later, she had seen the boy walking alone along a lane where he was pursued and roughly caught by the man. The next morning, the house appeared to be deserted again, and she saw neither the man nor the children again. Police could not establish why she had failed to provide this, this information earlier. Other reported sightings of their children continued for about a year and after their disappearance. So let's get into like some, a person. Okay. Gerald Corset. What a name. The case also attracted international attention. On November 8th, 1966, Gerald Corset, a parapsychologist and psychic, from the Netherlands was brought to Australia. Wow. Causing a media frenzy. His search for the children provided, I mean, proved unsuccessful with the story changing from day to day and offering no, no clues at all. So they have a psychic come out and say, I think I know what happened to the kids, man. Wow. They're, they're really reaching. Yeah. They're desperate. Yeah. Hey, anything for white children, dude, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta fight for their right <laughs> to be to white. live. Whoa, to be white is better. Look at you. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. It's New York now. Nah. We're white. <laughs> hey. You the Fonz? A little bit. Uh, let me see. So he identified a site in a warehouse near the children's home and also near the Paringa Park Primary School attended by Jane, by Jane and Arna, in which he believed the children's bodies had been buried. At the time of their disappearance, it had been a building site, and he said that he believed their bodies were buried under new concrete inside oh, the remains no. of an old brick kiln. The property owners, who were reluctant to evacuate on the bill- on the basis of a psychic's claim, which would you also... You just put this, this fucking cement here. We're building a building. Let's take it all and up. This and this, this asshat comes over, and he's like, hey, I think it's a kid buried here. They're like, okay, well, like, we better get paid to dig it all up and put it in again. They said no. Okay, so well, that soon, too. That's, more, that's smarter. So on the base of the claim, but then they soon bowed to the public pressure after publicly raised, they were uh, raised 40000 that had the building demolished. What? They were demolished? Mm-hmm. Damn. No remains or any evidence linking to any of the Beaumont family were found. In 1996, the building identified by Corset 
was undergoing partial dem- demolition and the owners allowed for a search, a full search of the site. Once again, there was no trace of the children. So this guy was just wrong. Yeah. All right. What do you got his name out there? He just wanted his job. Hey, hey, hey. Do whatever you can. <laughs> you gotta make money somehow. Gotta get that bread. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. So after two years, I mean, so about two years after the disappearance, the Beaumont parents received two letters supposedly written by Jane and another by a man who said he was keeping the children. The, evolu- the envelopes showed a postmark of Dandenong, Victoria, Australia. The brief notes described a relatively pleasant exper- no existence and referred to the man who was keeping them. The police believed at the time that the letters could quite likely have been authentic after comparing them with the other letters written by Jane. The letter from the man said that he had appointed himself the guardian of the children and was willing to hand them back to their parents. In the letter, a meeting place was nominated. Jim and Nancy Beaumont, followed by a detective, drove to the designated place, but nobody appeared. It was some time later that a third letter, also purported to be from Jane, arrived. It said that the man had been willing to return them, but when he realized a a disguised detective was also there, he decided that the Beaumonts had betrayed his trust, and he would keep the children. Damn, that sucks. (laughs) There were no further letters. In 1992, new forensic examinations of the letters showed that they were a hoax. Oh, they were? Mm Mm-hmm. So just written by somebody else? Yep. Okay. Fingerprint technology had improved, and the author was identified as a 41-year-old man who had been a teenager at the time and had wooden letters as a joke. Wow, that's a terrible joke. Mm Mm-hmm. Because of the time that had elapsed... He was not charged with any offense. How is that funny? That's just me. He was 14, dude. You ever played Xbox and had a kid call you the N-word? Yeah. (laughs) It's just heard a lot of things. Hey, it's a joke. What's crazy to me is that they were like, yeah, these are authentic. And this 14-year-old kid knew how to replicate her handwriting? I guess. Close enough? That's insane. And he he probably showed up and was like, is that a detective? Oh. Interesting. This isn't fun anymore. Hmm. I can get arrested for this. I'm out. That's my last letter. That's my last one. That's it for me. I'm never doing this again. So we're going to get to some later developments, and then we're going to get to other possible suspects. Okay. Because we haven't really even looked at suspects. We just got into hoax letters, and then a psychic who came and been like, I think I know where they are. And he didn't at all. He did not. He was a lying bastard. Uh, Don't trust psychics. I try not to. Yeah, don't. That's for everyone out there generally. Just don't trust them. I don't think they know what they're talking about. But so in January 2016, near the case 50th anniversary, South Australian police... 2016? Yeah. Okay. South Australian police were following up on another lead into the Beaumont children's disappearance. They're still following this case 50 years later. Hey, white kids get lost, you never let it go. You never let it go. Yeah, I guess. You don't know what they could have been. They could have been lawyers. (laughs) Said they're just dead. Housewives? Because it was the 60s? They could have been podcasters. They could have been white. (laughs) They were, luckily for them. But, uh, well, in this case, it wasn't really lucky because they weren't fun. Also, unfortunately, people only want to take white kids. That's not true. No? That's not true at all. They just talk about y'all. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yep. So, So they had, they were getting a tip in which a telephone tip pointed to another suspect in the cage. In that instance, a person who by that time was deceased, and the caller was convinced that the person whom he was naming was the culprit. 
Police said that they had received 159 calls to Crime Stoppers over the preceding two years. Wow. In February 2018, further evacuation was initiated in the back of the North Plymington factory that had previously belonged to a possible suspect. Police victim contact officer was reported to be sitting with Mr. Beaumont to ensure that he heard what happened before anybody else. Nothing relevant was found. The evacuation was based on two men reporting that the boys had been paid to dig a hole in that area at around the time, and geophysical testing had identified animal... Disturbed soil. Okay. Animal bones were found, but nothing related to the Beaumont children. So maybe they just buried a dog. Hmm. You know? So let's get into some possible suspects. Suspect number one, Bevan Spencer Von Endem. Wow, Bevan. Bevan. So Bevan was sentenced to life in prison in 1984 for murdering murdering a 15-year-old Richard Kelvin... Son of Adelaide newsreader Rob Kelvin. Police and prosecutors publicly stated that they believe that Bevan had accompl- had accomplices and was promised. Uh, you all good? Possibly. Uh, God, I'm having a stroke over here. Should I call somebody? Possibly involved in additional murders, which we're going to get to later on. The family murders. About this same time, police came to suspect. Bevan of possible involvement in the Beaumont children's disappearance. No accomplices were ever charged, and Bevan had refused to cooperate with investigators about his possible connection to with other murders. During the investigation into him, police heard from the informant identified only as Mr. B. He related an alleged conversation in which Bevan boasted of, of having taken three children from a beach oh, several years no. earlier. And see, and he said that he had conducted experiments. Oh no, had s- I don't like that. And he had a brilliant surgery on one of them, and had connected them up. Uh, one of the children had supposedly died during the procedure, so he had to kill the other two and dumped all their bodies in bushland south of Adelaide. Police had not previously considered him in connection with the Beaumont children. But he somewhat resembled descriptions and police sketches from 1966, according to Adelaide Police Detective Bob O'Brien. Mr. B gave important information during the investigation into the Kelvin murder and was regarded as a generally reliable source. However, police reception of the alleged uh, confession was mixed. There were enough plausible details to warrant further research, yet other details relayed by Mr. B did not fit with the known Facts and were regarded with skepticism by police. As of 2014, uh, Bevan had been ruled out as a suspect. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. For any particular reason, or no? No, he was. Let's get into some things about him. He was known to frequent the Glentown Beach to perv on changing rooms. Oh, no, of kids or of just and was of women. described as preoccupied with children. Oh. Yikes. What, argue, what argues against his involvement with the Beaumont children's disappearance is that he was younger than the suspect seen with the children in 1966. The suspect was reported to be in his mid to late 30s, where Bevan was 20 or 21 at the time. Oh, he could have looked old. But white people age terribly, so it could have been <laughs> him. No offense to you. No, white does crack. That's it what they does. say. Hey, dude, you know it is. Another important distinction is that Bevan was convicted of murdering a 15-year-old and suspected of killing men in their teens and 20s. 
victims older than the Beaumont children and children who were abducted from the Adelaide Oval. Such disparities amongst victims of a serial killer are not unheard of, but unusual. The reference to surgical experimentation he had purportedly made to Mr. B also corresponded to the coroner's reports on several of the murdered youths. Bevan also told a witnesses that he had taken two girls from the Adelaide Oval during a football match. He said that he had killed them, but not, but did not elaborate. The cases of the Beaumont children and of Joanne Radcliffe and Kristen Gerfs remain open. Because those are the two other people that died. However, Von M matches the police sketches of the suspects in both the Beaumont children and Adelaide Oval cases. And in 1989, he was identified as a suspect in a confidential police report. In August 2007, <laughs> it was reported that the police were examining archived footage from Channel 7 News networks for, of the search for the Beaumont children <laughs> that shows a young man resembling uh, Bevan amongst onlookers. The report said that the police were calling for information to establish the man's identity. So let's get into Arthur Stanley Brown. But first, how do you feel about Bevan being up there? I mean, having him be the only suspect I know about, mm-hmm. this seems like, how, how is it not airtight? Well, as we know from previous things with Australian uh, like police officers, they are very terrible at their job. Yeah, so that we know that was a Somerton man. Yes, awful. Have you seen this movie um, called Hounds of Love? No. But you're gonna tell me about that. I will. It's it's set in Australia, and it's about it's not about kids really, but this this couple kidnaps a woman, and it's kind of a similar situation to part of that, where they kidnap this girl, um, and like keep her in their house, or whatever. But like the girl ends up getting a letter to her family and telling her telling them her location, mm-hmm. and it's basically like they just live in a suburban neighborhood mm-hmm. that's like really close to her actual family, mm-hmm. which is like gotta be the worst thing. The no year. Your daughter's missing close to you, but not nowhere. Yeah, no. I mean, I feel like the parents in this case sort of deserved it. Because, like, who sends three young kids? Under 10. Yeah. But we're going to get to that at the end. So, uh, the next one is Arthur Stanley Brown. So, he was named in 1998 as uh, Arthur Stanley Brown. He was then 86. He was charged with the murders of sisters Judith, age 7, and Susan, aged five, McKay, in Townsville, Queensland. They disappeared while on their way to school on twenty on the August 26, 1970, and their bodies were found several days later in a dry creek bed. Both girls had been strangled. Yikes. Brown's July 2000 trial was delayed after his lawyer applied for a Section 613 verdict, unfit to be tried. For the jury... He was never retried as he was found to be suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Brown died in 2002. Along with Bevan, he is considered to be the best suspect for the Beaumont children deduction as he bore a striking similarity to an identical picture of the suspects for both the Beaumont children and Adelaide Oval cases. The search for a connection to the Beaumonts were as successful as no employment records existed that could shed light on his movements at the time. Some of the records were believed to be lost in the 1974 Brisbane flood, and it is also possible that Brown, who had unrestricted access to government buildings, may have deleted his own files. Oh. Brown is considered a suspect for the Beaumont children's disappearance based on connections that have been made between him and the Adelaide overreduction. 
How, although there is no proof that he had ever visited Adelaide, a witness recalled having a conversation with Brown in which he mentioned having seen the Adelaide Festival Center nearing completion, which places him in Adelaide in June 1973. The oval abduction occurred on the 73rd of August, I mean, 73rd, <laughs> only 25th of August, 1973. However, no evidence had ever been found to connect Brown with Adelaide and in 1966 when the Beaumont children were abducted. Another witness who reported seeing a man near the Oval carrying a young girl with another older girl in distress followed later identified Brown as the man in which she had seen after his picture on television was like thrown up. So in December 1988, I mean 1998, in relation to the McKay murders, the woman who identified the abductor as Brown first saw him for a single minute when age 14 uh, and then identified him as Brown 25 years later. And when she saw him as an 86-year-old on television, Brown's appearance, in fact, had barely changed. And he was still very much recognizable as the same person when compared to photographs of him taken 30 years earlier which was a factor in identifying him as matching, which uh, the sketch of the suspect in the Beaumont and Adelaide Oval Adductions. Additionally, she had reported that the man was wearing a pair of horn-brimmed glasses, and Brown is known to have worn horn-brimmed glasses, something considered by police to be another noteworthy point of identification. Brown was 53 at the time of the disappearance of the children, which may or may not match the description of the children, who was reported to be in his late 30s. Okay, so there, jump me back a little bit to the first guy, Bevan. Yeah. He is... He was 20. He, yeah, but he is uh, sentenced to life in prison for yes. the murder of another kid. Yes. And how did he get caught for that? Uh, A guy named Mr. B helped him a lot in that guy in that case, but he was anonymous too. Okay. And did, where, did, they, did they talk about where they found the body? Um, I think it was in a... Let me see. I'm pretty sure it was a... Wow. Yes. I thought the other one was in a swamp. No, this one was a swamp. The other one was a creek bed. Yeah, the other one was. Okay. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I can't really find. I would have to like look. I know I said it at some point where they found him, but yeah, this guy was. He didn't have to go to jail because he had dementia. The second guy. Okay. So he got the all timers kind of plea. Oh, which I didn't know that was a thing that you can be like, I have Alzheimer's. I I, I, I can't it, remember. Damn. I didn't know that was a thing. But I didn't either. Now we have... Uh, it's like temporary insanity, but... But I did forget it was a thing. But <laughs> uh, now we have James Ryan O'Neill. Or Tom. Oh. Uh, <laughs> damn. In the early 1970s, it was me. James O'Neill, who was... Jailed for life in 1975 for the murder of a nine-year-old boy in Tasmania, had told a station owner in Kimberley and several other acquaintances that he was responsible for the disappearance of the Beaumont children. In 2006, O'Neill lost an injunction in the High Court of Australia to stop the broadcast of the documentary The Fisherman, which attempted to link O'Neill to the Beaumont children's uh, disappearance. The documentary aired in Australia on October 26, 2006. On the ABC, former Victorian detective 
uh, Gordon Davy spent three years talk, speaking to Neil to win his confidence before filming him for the documentary. Davy said although there was no evidence to link O'Neill to the disappearance of the Beaumont children, he was persuaded O'Neill was the one to blame. I asked him about the Beaumonts and he said, I couldn't have done it. I was in Melbourne at the time. That is not a denial. Later asked again if he had murdered their children and he replied, look, on legal advice, wait, yeah, look, on legal advice, I am not going to say where I was or when I was there. Although O'Neill claims to never had visited Adelaide, his work in the opal uh, industry at the time required that he frequently visited Cooper Petty in the roads to travel from Melbourne to Cooper Petty Pass through Adelaide. Davy also suspected O'Neill was involved in the disappearance of Joanne Ratcliffe and Kristen Gordon in 1973. Southern Australia police have interviewed O'Neill and discounted him as a suspect in the, in the Beaumont case. This one is Derek Perry. Okay. He there. We have two other ones after this. Okay. So Derek Perry. So on April 22nd, 2007, a report in the age suggested that the Beaumont children may have been killed by Derek Perry. I mean, Percy, Derek Percy, a victim. I mean, Victoria's then longest serving prisoner. Percy was in prison until his death in 2013 after being found guilty, found not guilty by reason of insanity for the 1969 murder of Yovane Tuhi. They have some terrible names on How old is this person? Uh, does it say? It does not say her age. So I'm guessing she was probably an adult. The, a- the age, which is the magazine, mm-hmm. alleged that evidence gathered by cold case investigators indicated that he was a likely suspect for a number of unsolved child murders, including the Beaumont children. His insanity plea in the Tui murder was at least partly based on his suffering a psychological condition that could prevent him remembering details of his actions. He was supposed to be indicated that it was supposed to have indicated that he believed he might have killed the Beaumont children as he was in the area at the time, but he had no recollection of actually doing so. On August 30 of 2007, Victorian police successfully applied for the permission to question Derek Percy in relation to the Beaumont children disappearance. In 1966, Percy was 17 and therefore seems too young to have been the man who was seen with the children by several witnesses. It is also unknown whether Percy would have had a car at the time. While the Beaumont children suspect suspect is presumed by commentators to have had access to one for for for. Uh, for, for You'll get there. Yeah. 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 It's been a long night. <laughs> Facilitating a quick getaway. Um, and also for disposing of the children's bodies later. Percy was in prison from 1969 until his death in 2013. Which means that he could not have been the abductor in the Adelaide Oval case, which many of the police who investigated both cases believed to be connected to the Beaumont children one. So they're like, he couldn't have done that one. So he couldn't have done the other one either. Okay. Because they feel like if you did the one, you had to do the other. One. Also, I feel like he. You said he was seventeen at the time. Yep. So that means he's even younger than Bevan. Yep. And he, they considered him too young mm-hmm. uh, to be the suspect. Mm-hmm. So basically, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm so happy they don't like. They still have it, but they don't. 
like go off of that heavy as much as it used to, like because of DNA and whatnot. Well, yeah. Also, it's like eyewitness testimonies. How do you say that guy's in his thirties and yeah. not twenties? He could just look old. That's what I'm saying. So now we have Alan Anthony Moreau. Hey, he seems like a New Yorker, but he's not. So in 2015, a man, Alan McIntyre, who had, who had himself been investigated by police and cleared of involvement in the Beaumont case, claimed in a newspaper interview that a man he had known in 1966, who by 2015 was being sought in Southeast Asia in connection with child abuse incidents there, had, according to his children, come to his his home with the bodies of the Beaumont children in his car. The man in question was later identified as businessman Alan Anthony Moreau, who pleaded guilty to child sex offenses back oh, no. in 1962. In June 2017, Adelaide detectives were given a copy of a child's diary written in 1966, which allegedly placed Alan Anthony Moreau in the vicinity of Glentown Beach at the time of the children's disappearance. Moreau was convicted of abusing several children, including the son of McIntyre, who was a contributor to the diary. Moreau had been previously investigated by police, but no evidence had been found that he was involved in the Beaumont case. Now we got Henry Phipps. So Henry Phipps, who died in 2004, came to attention as a possible suspect at the publication of the book, the Satin Man uncovering the mystery of the, of the missing Beaumont children in 2013. It was republished and updated with new information in 2015. The book did not name the identity of the Satin Man, but his estranged son identified to him soon after the, as a Satin Man and possibly the murderer. Phillips lived only streets away from Glentown Beach where the Beaumont children disappeared. In November 2013, a one-meter square section of a factory in North Plymington, which had been owned by Phillips, was evacuated following a tip after the Beaumont children, a ground-penetrating radar, found one small anomaly which can indicate movements of objects within the soil, but the dig found no additional evidence and investigations to the sites were closed. On January 22, 2018, Adelaide detectives announced that they would return to the North Plymouthton factory site previously investigating and conduct further evacuations. After an investigation sponsored by the Channel 7 Adelaide uh, you know, TV series, uh, evacuation on February 2nd, 2018 took nine hours. Animal bones and general rubbish were found, but nothing related to the Beaumont children's case. So they have dug up several different places to find these kids. And just years later, just got a big, uh, big old donut, nothing. Animal bones. Like it, this to me, goose egg. To me, before we get into the possible relatable cases, that is the most insane part about this. That after like years, like you can tell in Australia, they don't have this happen often. You know, I I feel like generally, generally Australia, I guess now has a pretty low crime rate. Yeah, because you can tell with America, there's so many like cold cases mm-hmm. that they just say it's cold. I don't give a fuck. Like we gotta move on. We got another yeah. one happening right like now. Literally right now. Put it, put it in the back. That's why that that first forty eight thing. Yeah, like they say, if you don't, if you can't solve it in the first forty eight hours, it's like a huge chance you'll never solve it. So there's like we got other problems. Yeah, because I find that so interesting. Because with us, there's so many cold cases. Like at the most, you get a, like a TV documentary later on. 
mm-hmm. a few like like John Benet Ramsey. But the only reason that is, you know, it's a white child, you know, it's a white girl. Child. Yeah. Like in Australia, like they like keep looking. Like years later, they're still looking at shit. They have so much free time because they own guns. Wink, <laughs> wink. They have knives over there. Ooh. A knife. I'm scared. Mm-hmm. And spiders and fucking all the other animal shit. There's a better chance that animal's going to kill you over there. You know? Is that true? I feel like it is. I'd buy it. Like, God, America's so fucking stupid. <sighs> so let's get into some possible related cases. We got Joanne Ratcliffe and Christine Gordon. I kept bringing their names up over and over again. So in 1973, two children, Joanne Ratcliffe, age 11, and Christine Gordon, age 4, disappeared for the Adeline Oval during a football match, Mike. And they are presumed to have been had been abducted and murdered. Joanne's parents and Christine's gra- grandmother had allowed the two girls to leave their group to go to the toilet, eh? They were seen several times in the 90 minutes after leaving the Oval, apparently distressed and in the company of an unknown man, but they vanished after the last reported sighting. The police sketch of the man last seen with the two girls resembles resembles that of the last scene with the Beaumont children, so it looks like the same guy. But it was not a satisfactory identicate image, and detectives believe the case may be linked to the disappearance of the children. So they look, the guy looks very similar. So he might have done that one than this one, which also brings me to. What the fuck is the deal with Australian parents letting their under 10-year-olds do whatever the fuck they want? They must just be like very trusting. It has to be so different over there. Because I couldn't imagine letting my under 10-year-old child go to a bathroom by itself. Well, to be, if, I feel like I had a lot of crazy stuff, but Allegan is like pretty well, tiny. you know, hey, they don't have TVs there. Actually, uh, growing up, we, I lived across the street from elementary school for the longest time, mm-hmm. um, but we'd just like leave the door unlocked 24 hours a day, no matter what. It's alligator. Even when we were like asleep, I'd wake up and the door would be wide open because the wind blew it open. We didn't shut it tight enough. It's just like, all right, whatever. Poor town. <laughs> no offense. Um, I, I think I probably did crazy stuff when I was, well, I guess, how old are you? What grade are you in? Probably like third grade. Yeah. Yeah. Probably like not. A, that's actually, that's too young. Like at 11? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, maybe like fifth grade. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Because you're usually about. I, well, I walked home from school in fifth grade, but probably before but that. I was right doing, across the street. Well, no, actually, that was, I live in different places. Okay, so you move. Um, but. but that's, I feel like it's different. And it's such a small town. You used to ride know. bikes a lot, but never like. Like just walking. Yeah. Never would your parents trust you as a, what, a nine-year-old? To take your siblings on a bus. Yeah, definitely not. I wouldn't even trust myself. And have them come back multiple times. Yeah. I would never, ever. Maybe they were trying to lose them. That's what I'm saying. Even if it was, maybe if it was the 70s, you know, back then they used to let your kids do whatever. Like, you'd be like, hey, jump out the window, kiddo. (laughs) Hey, get some, uh, some. Throw some dirt in that wound. <laughs> oh, he just got stabbed, but let me spit on it. You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like they didn't care back then. We twist a knife in it and pull it out. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know we're wild because it's the 60s and 70s. But today, whew, until you have a child, until you have a child, you would never understand. All right. Well, can you tell me about your child? Until you have a child, 
<laughs> Sorry, let's get into the family murders. So in 1979, the body of a young man was found in Adelaide. He was identified as Neil Mirror. His body was badly mutilated. In oh. 1982, the body of Mark Langley, aged 18. Well, Neil was 25, by the way. Mark Langley, who was aged 18, was found. Before his death, he had been subjected to surgery. His abdomen had been sliced open, and he had been shaved prior to this. Part of his bile, I mean his bowel, had been removed, and Langley had died from loss of blood. Over the next few months, more bodies were found. The dismembered skeletal remains of Peter Stroganoff, age 14, were found. Almost a year after his disappearance, and Alan Barnes, age 18, was found mutilated in a similar manner to Langley. A fifth victim, Richard Kelvin, age 15, was found in 1983, once with the same mutilations. This is the one that Bevan was convicted of, the Kelvin murder, in 1984, mm-hmm. and was charged with the murders of Barnes and Langley in 1989. However, the prosecution was forced to enter a unwilling to pursue when crucial evidence was deemed inadmissible. The crime, these crimes had been collectively known as the family murders. Oh. Police believed that a core group of four people and up to eight associates were involved in the murders. Testimony given during Vine and him, yeah, Beavers. Okay. Um, trial alleged that he was involved in both the Beaumont children's disappearance and the abduction of Joanne Radcliffe and Christine Gordon. So they were trying to just call him Beaver. Yeah. So they were trying to like <laughs> throw all these cases at him, you know. But he was dying. hoping that something would stick. Yeah. You know, but not anymore. He kind of got off of that. You know, he's just chilling. He's chilling now. He's chilling. So this is remains one of the most infamous cold cases, and they still look years after years about it. And the state government continues to this day to maintain a $1 million reward for any information relating to the Beaumont children's wow. disappearance. So they amped it up over 250 pounds. Mm-hmm. So if you can find it, it's one million dollars to you, and after I'm going this, to Australia. That's my new job, <laughs> finding them. So after this, similar cases, like the Green Thorn kidnapping and the Wanda Beach murders, mark the end of the innocence and the post war Australian life. So I'm guessing after this, they stopped doing the "Hey, you're nine, go and take your sibling somewhere." In it continuously revisited over and over again, but there's nothing found. So we'll finally just get into where the parents are now because they're still alive. So at the time of the, dis- uh, the investigation, Jim and Nancy Beaumont received widespread sympathy from the Australian public. They remained at the, sub- the Summerton Park home, and Nancy Beaumont in the particular held hope that the children would return and stated in interviews that it would be dreadful if the children returned home and did not find their parents waiting for them. So they stayed in the house because they thought one wow. day the kids would come back. That's sad. That yep. is sad stuff right there. Yep. Over the years, as new leads and new theories emerged, the Beaumonts cooperated fully in exploring every possibility, whether it was claims that the children had been abducted by a religious cult and were living in uh, in New Zealand or Melbourne or Tasmania, or some clue that suggested that a possible burial site for the children. They were des- they were devastated in 1990 when newspapers published computer-generated photographs of how the children would have looked at as adults. Which is, yeah, it's kind of fucked up. When they're like, this is how they would look now. They were still alive. 
<laughs> but they're not. They're but dead. They're you hear that, dead. parents? Hey, you hear that, Jim and Nancy? Hey. It's your fault, too. The kids are dead. Hey, you want to get on this bus? Wink. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the pictures published, were they were published against their wishes and caused a huge backlash of, backlash of public sympathy from the community, which is still sensitive to their pain. The couple later divorced are now living separately, having resolved to live their final years away from public attention. Are they still living in the house, either of them? No. And they no longer want the public attention that followed them for decades. They sold the home. And while the case remains open, the South Australian police force remains informed of, poli- of the couple's address, I mean addresses. So they keep they know where they are at all times. So if they ever do find them, there it is. So as of February 2018, 52 years after the disappearance, Jim and Nancy Bomar are aged 92 and 90, respectively. They're still alive? Yep. And are reported to have accepted the truth that they may never find their children. Those kids are dead, right? Oh, yeah. They're dead, dude. <laughs> yeah, they're beyond dead. <laughs> In a grave somewhere. <laughs> they're not even working. They're dead. Yes. So which suspect do you think it most likely is? I could see Bevan. Seems to me like it's Bevan. I can see it because even though he was 20. I don't think that matters. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter. But as we've noticed in the summer turn man case, Australian police at the time were really terrible at their jobs. Like I Basically, mean, if someone disappeared, they were gone. Yeah, it was it. In Australia, it was like, hey, he's gone. He's, hey, uh, good day, mate. He's going down under. Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> he's dead. Eh? Yeah, you know, like it's over. It was over back then. There is no, maybe we'll find them. Maybe we won't find them. No, we're not going to find them. We'll, you know, keep looking. Huh? Just look busy. Is that good enough for you? I guess so. Hey, all right. Someone's getting a, a, a new check over here. We're still going. And they have nothing else to do. Like, if we go back to the Summerton case, remember they got so bored that they made someone mold the fucking head? Yeah. Or the fucking head. In this case, it really fits. Mold the fucking head of that one guy's body because they were just had all that free time. Like, come on, man, Australia. And they still never found out. They still anything? never found him. What the who fook? he was? What yeah. the fuck, dude? That's just terrible. I think it's Bevan. I think like all this stuff he like perved on kids at that very beach. Everything they said about him being connected with other child murders. It feels like that one seems the most viable option. Yeah, I would choose Bevan in this situation. If I had to choose one, I would go with Bevan. But Isn't Bevan a, a butler-ass name? It is. It is. What a loser. Loser. <laughs> is he still alive? Probably not. He was in jail. Ge- oh, no, yeah. I thought he was in jail. No, there was another guy who was in jail since so 2013. He's probably dead, dude, to be honest with you. Like, yeah. Unless they take care of him, he's dead. This happened in '55. The parents are still alive. Well, yeah, yeah, true. But sadness keeps you alive in a lot of cases. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Didn't it? Didn't. That was them. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No. So, the end of an era for them. So, do you really realistically do you think we'll ever know? No. No, I think, I think so. this would be one of those. Maybe ones. like if if one of those guys is alive still and they really did it, maybe on their deathbed they'll be like, "I did it." Nah, I feel like maybe we'll find out. Somebody would be like, you know, running around accidentally like trip over something. I found like, these bones. Oh shit, Mike. Yeah, 
Like, what is this? Or the dog will run back with it. And I'm like, like, give me that bone. Whoa! It's a Beaumont. Yeah. Australia is a huge country, though. And there's like plenty of places to hide bodies there. A lot of places. It's, it's, and they, and a lot of times they actually think about it, you know? Like, they, they, the guys who kill people take their time. Especially that whole thing, like, they mentioned that Jane had a a boyfriend at the beach. So he'd probably been like, Grooming these kids to some extent, and then been like, I already know. I'm which gonna take. If, if, which then about the thing where they had the sightings in the neighborhood? Was he like, I'm gonna raise these kids as my own. I'm a psycho, and then he was like, I don't like this anymore. I'm killing them. Which to me, as a parent, once again, if someone says my daughter has like a little boyfriend at the beach, and you still send them, you're gonna go with that kid. <laughs> the second time, like, all right, who is this kid? The thing is that also implies that they had never, pretty much, been. Yep. To the beach, and then, or at least been to the beach when that guy was there. Uh huh. Which I, that's just something about them again, like where they didn't, they're like, ah, you go to the beach alone every, t-. you think about this. If they're going to the beach, maybe that's, that's, if you're, if ignoring the fact that they're already below, beneath 10 and there's yeah. creepers and stuff like that, what if they drown? Yeah. There's nobody there at all to save them. Yeah. I can't, I don't want to blame Jim and Nancy because I don't want to victim blame. But man, that's rough. I mean, I wish we lived in a world where your kids could go to the beach under I mean, 10 and too. totally be yeah, fine, but we be don't. Okay, but hey, especially in America, dude, it's fucking wild. So yeah, that wouldn't happen in America. Never, never. Some <laughs> some crazy white guy would come up with a camera and be like, are you serious right now? Are you serious? You see these kids, they don't have their parents out. Where are their parents? And then they didn't know you get taken away. Yeah. CPS would be there in CPS 10 seconds. CPS would be there in seconds. <laughs> Seconds. So yeah. Anything else you want to say? I don't think so. I think it's Bevan. That's really really interesting. A lot of child murderers in Ad- in Adelaide. Yeah. yeah. And Adelaide specifically. Don't live there. Don't yeah. live there. So yeah. Uh, well, it's probably still probably safer than America, but oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, like we say all the time, you know, at the end of every episode, join the club, man. You know. You can join the club by following us at- on our Instagram and Twitter. At Tom and Emir, T-O-M-A-N-D-E-M-I-R. Thank you. On Instagram, Twitter, that's it. MySpace. MySpace. We should make a MySpace. <laughs> Just should. for shits and Just giggles. Just for shits and giggles. But yeah, you know, join the brand. It's it's on, our, it's on the track and it's going. It's getting bigger and bigger every day. Uh, like I say, I love all of you guys for listening. I hope you guys continue to grow with us as we go from episode to episode and you enjoy the wild ride as me and Tom, you know, grow on this trip, you know. I know sometimes we hate each other or, you know, sometimes Tom goes and does other shows and doesn't say anything about it. But sometimes, I mean, it's I'm past it. I get over it. I don't do it to him, but it's all right. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't. I can't be tied down. I'm sorry. Yeah, he, You know, I, I'll just manage him from afar. But uh, yeah. Well, as we love saying, well, I love saying, what do you want to say this week since I know what I did? Wow, those Beaumont kids, that was fooked. And Jim and Nancy taking those 10-year-olds, well, under 10-year-olds there, and Bevan, and all of Australia's police force as a whole in 1960s were all fooked. They need to be fooked. 